the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Your love would be in them and, and that the world would know that they belong to me because of your love. The love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So that's the idea of, you know, Jesus, when we pray to receive Christ as our Savior, we ask the Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. What, what does that mean? It's, this, it's what he's saying here. Jesus wants to take up residence by his Spirit to be the ruler and reigner and sovereign over our lives. When one invites Jesus into their heart, what exactly does that mean? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that what that phrase means is that Jesus would be the sovereign over your life. Jesus is already sovereign, but by asking him into your life, you're surrendering over your life to him. No longer will you be controlled by your own desires, but you will seek to be led and ruled by him. Pastor Gary explains that Jesus takes up residence in your heart by His Holy Spirit. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 16, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Now, I don't know if you you have, probably so, but I don't know if you have in mind the proper prayer posture. But, but <laughs> the other day, my wife and I were praying together, and, and I was actually looking. I was looking out the window as we were praying together, and she finishes, and she looks up, and she goes, you were looking out the window. I said, yeah, I was, I was looking out the window. <laughs> but, it, but that's not wrong. It's just, it's just that there are some, actually, there are times when, when, honestly, honestly, when I close my eyes, I can start to think about everything else in the world. I don't know what it is, but when I close my eyes, I'm thinking about bills that have to be paid, the lawn that has to be mowed, the car needs to be washed, and I've got to write the sermon, i got to get everything, and I can, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I pray better with my eyes open. I don't know why it is, but I want you to know, it's a biblical thing, friends. <laughs> Jesus looked toward heaven. He had his eyes wide open. I came across, I've had this in my library for a long time, but I find this uh, a little amusing to kind of stretch our idea of what is the proper prayer posture. There isn't one. Okay? It's not doesn't have to be the hands folded, you know, or maybe I should do this, you know, here's the steeple and the people, whatever. It doesn't have to always be on your knees. It could be standing. It doesn't have to be eyes closed all the time. It can be eyes open. It doesn't it, it can be a variety of things. But here's this great little thing that reminds us of this. So it's called an informal prayer, the prayer of Cyril Brown. Here's how it goes. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Johnny Keys. The only proper attitude is down upon his knees. 
Nay, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms, with rapt and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be austerely clasped in front, with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Hunt. Last year I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyril Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up, my head a-pointing down. And I done prayed right there and then, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standing on me head. So it really doesn't matter. You can pray standing, sitting, or on your head, eyes closed or shut. Just pray. And Jesus, his posture is looking toward heaven, and he's praying. And this is his prayer, first section for himself. He says, Father, the time has come. Now remember that, because often through the Gospels, Jesus talks about my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. He was on this divine timetable, and he knows this is part of the divine timetable here. And he says, Father, the time has come. He knows that his mission is about to be fulfilled here. In less than a few hours, he's going to be crucified now. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Notice that. That speaks to again. He was co-eternal and co-existent with God the Father. Even before the universe was spoken into creation, Jesus was there with the Father. Co-eternal, co-existing. Notice in this prayer here, he talks about how the glory of the Son revealed, the glory of the Father. And, and he says, glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you And the idea is that when Jesus came to earth, he divested himself of his glory. In other words, when he condescends to the human level and takes on humanity, he laid down the glory of heaven and he humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant. It's incredible how he becomes like us, condescending to our level, stooping down to become like us, to become one of us, so that he could die for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Lays it all down. And in here, he speaks of this, I mean, this is like the gospel message, isn't it? Verse 3, where he says, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. Okay, there's only one true God. There are a lot of gods, small g, that are talked about and mentioned. And there are a lot of people who think that all paths lead to God. There is one God and one path to God. He says that they may know you. By the way, that word to know in the original Greek language, the Greeks had two words for to know. 
there was a word to know that was intuitive. You know it's going to rain tomorrow because, you know, all indicators point to it. So, I'm not saying that it's going to rain up literally, but I'm just saying, you know, the idea of, how do you, I know it's going to rain tomorrow because, you know, indicators point to it and maps and, you know, indications and fronts and all this kind of stuff. I know it intuitively. And then there is the know experientially. I know it's rainy because it's pouring down on my head right now and I'm experiencing the rain, so I, I know it experientially. That's the word that Jesus uses here. That, they, that people would know God experiencing him in a real not just some you know kind of conceptual knowledge but that they would know him in a personal way he says that they would know the true god and jesus christ whom you have sent i have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory i had with you so father I want to come back now. I want to to ascend back to heaven after the crucifixion, after his whole purpose was accomplished, and assume again the glory that I had laid down when I came to earth. So that's his prayer for himself. Then he prays for the 11, verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Hey, remember, he, Jesus selected the 12, but he selected them, the Bible says, after praying all through the night because the Father directed him which 12 should be selected. So verse 7, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Now, that's a reference, obviously, to Judas, right? So, Providentially, God knew that Judas would be a betrayer and it was even predicted in Scripture. So none has been lost, but the one that God providentially knew, and he's referred to as the one doomed to destruction. Now, interestingly, that same phrase, they have a King James Bible that says son of perdition, where the phrase in NIV says the one doomed to destruction. King James says son of perdition. That same phrase is used in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and I'll read it to you, in reference to the Antichrist. It's very interesting. 2 Corinthians 2, 3. Paul wrote, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, talking about the second coming of Christ, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, and then here's the phrase, the man doomed to destruction. Again, King James says, the son of perdition. So, and, and in John 17, 12 here, where Jesus refers to Judas as the son of perdition or the man doomed to destruction, it's, it's, it's interesting because 
There are really only two examples in Scripture of an individual who is possessed by, empowered by Satan. One is Judas, and one is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a real individual, a real world leader. And that world leader will be empowered, uh, possessed by the Spirit, by Satan. And so that's why that phrase is used interchangeably here between a reference to Judas in John 17 and a reference to the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2. Both the work of Satan, the one doomed to destruction, the son of perdition, so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus says, continuing, verse 13, I am coming to you now, speaking to the Father, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my, and here's the word again, joy within them. That word joy is used seven times in this uh, upper room discourse between chapters Uh, 15, 16, and 17, seven times. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. You know, we don't belong to the world, folks. Our citizenship is in heaven. We just, you know, occupy the world for now. If you feel uncomfortable sometimes in the world, you should, because you're not of the world, and you're not intended to live forever in the world. So, there's a reason why you feel sometimes like, you know, you're the odd man out or the odd lady out at work or, you know, maybe with your family sometimes if they're not believers. Uh, and as the culture trends further and further away from the standard of God, there's a reason why you're to feel a little uncomfortable, a little out of place, a little odd, because we're not of the world. And this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're passing through. But we are, while we're here, to be good examples of Christ, to be the light in the dark world, to hold out the Word of God, to influence our world, but you shouldn't feel comfortable. And Jesus says here, you know, I'm not of the world, they're not of the world. Believers aren't of the world. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus says, I'm not praying, Father, that you just remove my disciples. I'm praying that you protect them in the world and that you sanctify them, purify them. How are we purified? What is the cleansing work that happens in our lives? How, does it, how is it accomplished? Through the Word. The more we get into the Word of God, it has a purifying, cleansing effect in our hearts and in our lives. It says, sanctify them, Father. Purify them by Your Word, by the truth. Your Word is truth. Remember that. We live in a relative world. A lot of people want to tell you what the truth is. If it doesn't line up to God's Word, it's not truth. It's relativism in our world today. And that's part of the reason why people will hate you. Because when you start to say things absolutely, because truth is absolute by its very definition, people will get mad at you. We live in a world that is very intolerant towards absolute, to moral truth. When you start making definitive statements about what is right and what is wrong based on what God says, people will not like it. They want to be a standard unto themselves. We as believers live by the standard of God's Word. God's Word is truth. And the ultimate 
reason that we live by the truth and extend the truth is because without being cliche, the words of Jesus, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We don't extend the truth just because we want to be arrogant about what is right and what is wrong. We extend the truth because we believe that the truth is the answer for the soul and for every life in this world. That they would know the truth and that the truth would set them free. Now this last section here is Jesus' prayer for all believers. So he looks forward in time to all who would end up receiving him and believing him. So obviously if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, this, I mean, consider this. He's praying for us. And there's four things here that I see in this final section that he prays for us. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the 11. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Circle that word, and we'll pause in the middle of that verse. But that's the first thing that Jesus prays for. He prays for unity in the church. He wants believers to be in unity. Now, unity is not uniformity. By that I mean the definition of unity is not that we are all exactly the same. We will all be different. That's the riches of diversity in the body of Christ. But as it relates to the essentials, there better be agreement. Essentials like the virgin birth. Jesus is the only way to salvation. The, the Word of God is inerrant and infallible. If we don't believe in the essentials, then, then you know what is our faith? It's null and void. So he prays for unity. Again, that doesn't mean that we're all going to look the same and as it relates to some of the non-essential things, all agree about every single thing. That's not the goal. Think about it for those of you who are married. You're very different probably from, than your spouse. Okay, Birds of a, feather, of a feather flock together. That's the phrase for friends. Birds of a feather flock together. The phrase for marriage is opposites attract. <laughs> your soulmate will look very different from you. And the reason is because God knows what you needed to be complimented. All right? If you married someone else who's just like you, one of you is not necessary. Are you hearing me? (laughs) Now, I don't know what that means for some of you who are like, well, we're very much alike. What are you saying? I don't know. (laughs) But what I'm saying to the rest of you is if you find yourself very, very different, and sometimes those differences can cause... Let's just say for intense fellowship. <laughs> but the goal is to recognize that the differences is what actually complements you because chances are her strengths are your weaknesses and his strengths are your weaknesses and vice versa. And so, you know, one of you is spontaneous and one of you is very planned. One of, one of you is very organized and one of you is not. 
and, and one of you saves money and one of you spends a lot of money. And so, and one of you likes it hot, one of you likes it cold. And so, and that's, but together, see, the key is, well, we, we don't want to argue over our differences. We want to recognize how our differences complement one another. And the same is in the body of Christ. You're not supposed to look like everybody else. Your differences and your gifts add to the complementary diversity within the body of Christ. So when Jesus says, I pray for unity, that, I might, that they might be one, it doesn't mean that they agree on every single thing or that you know, every little nuance of how things should function, they're, they're in complete agreement. We're going to have differences. There's differences in the body of Christ. There's different gifts, different personalities, different backgrounds, and, and, and different races, and, and different everything. And, and it's in our differences, he prays, though, that there would be unity. That there would be unity. And then he goes on in the rest of that sentence, and, and he says in verse 23, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this idea of letting the world know, he prays for clarity in the message. You see, if we're not in unity, then we're not going to bring clarity in the message of who Jesus is. If we have a a variety of ideas about who Jesus is, rather than a biblical view of who Jesus is, we're not going to be bringing clarity in the message of the gospel. People need to know the truth of Jesus, but they need to know it through a unified church. So he prays for that unity, and, and the unity lends itself then to the message, so that to let the world know that you sent me. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the gospel message, and he wants us to have unity so we can have clarity in the message. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me, here's the next thing, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you have loved me before the creation of the world. So notice this, to be with me where I am. So the third thing is eternity. And you see this little rhyming thing I have going, unity, clarity, eternity. All right, so there you go, just to help us remember. But he's praying for that. He says, I, I, want, them, I want them to come to heaven. I want them to be a part of eternity. I want them to see all of this that presently is hidden from their eyes. I want them, those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you've loved me before the creation of the world. Again, another reference to how Jesus has always been co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. And then lastly, verse 25, he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, you know, an unbelieving world, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love, circle that, the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So the last one is charity because love doesn't rhyme. But nevertheless, it's still, that's what we're talking about. So it's, it's the idea that Jesus says, you know, and then ultimately that your love would be in them and, and that the world would know that they belong to me because of your love. The love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. So that's the idea of, you know, Jesus, when we pray to receive Christ as our Savior, we ask the Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. What, what does that mean? It's, this, it's what he's saying here. 
Jesus wants to take up residence by His Spirit to be the ruler and reigner and sovereign over our lives. And that comes because we humble ourselves and we invite Jesus Christ to take over our lives and to be Lord and Savior. Jesus, Jesus prays for those who will believe in Him that we would have unity, that we would have clarity in the message, that we would experience eternity in heaven, and that we would have charity, love one for another. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.